What if you were able to sit down for lunch with some of the greatest leaders in the world? What would you ask? What would they say? Welcome to the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where you're invited to join us in learning the spiritual principles behind big success. Here's your host, Mike Lynch. Welcome to episode 81 of the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where we sit down with some of America's greatest leaders and find out how they have learned to lead with their faith out in front. If I've never met you before, my name is Mike Lynch, and it is my honor to be on this leadership journey with you as we're all seeking to be the leaders that we were created to be in the space and the place that God has put us. Well, I am so blessed and honored that you do take the time each and every month to join us. And man, we've been hitting it pretty hard. We uh, normally do two episodes a month. I know some of our last few months, we've had three. We've had some amazing, amazing guests. Today, there is no difference. Today is another amazing guest. I sat down a few months ago with a gentleman that I've respected from afar for a long time. He does what I do. He's a pastor. The difference is he not only pastors a phenomenal multi-ethnic church in Charlotte, North Carolina, Transformation Church, but he also played five seasons in the NFL with the Colts and the Panthers as a defensive back. He was selected in the fourth round of the 95 NFL draft and played with Indianapolis, played with Carolina, and then he went on and has pastored a phenomenal church in Charlotte, North Carolina. But he not only pastors, he's authored, uh, no big deal, five books. His latest book, which just came out, was The Good Life, What Jesus Teaches Us About True Happiness. He hosts a podcast, marinate on that, the Dr. Derwin Gray podcast. What I love about Derwin Gray, he's authentic, he's real, he's passionate, and his story is so good. His way he found the Lord, his passion he serves the Lord with, the difference he's making and the thought leader he is already and is even more becoming is incredible. So you are going to love this conversation. So I want you to do me a favor. I want you to pull up a chair, pull out a pen or pencil, get your thumbs ready. And I want you to listen in to my time with Dr. Derwin Gray. Well, Pastor Derwin, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Lynch with a Leader. It means a ton to have you. Well, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to connecting. You've got an incredible past. I mean, you've been a college athlete. You've been a professional athlete. You've been an itinerant speaker. You've been a pastor now. You planted a church. You've written books. How would you describe Derwin Gray? What are the words for the folks that that have heard of you, but they don't know you, how would you describe you? <laughs> uh, I think a five-letter word, grace. Amen. Grace. Um, you know, the, um, the older you get and the more you learn that Jesus is carrying you, uh, the more you recognize that uh, it's his grace. Even Even the capacity to 
um, strategize to overcome all those, all those things that you described, even before I was a believer, God's grace was active. And it's kind of like, you know, you can look back now and, and see that, that he was present. And so, you know, um, you know, certain people may view me in a certain way, and it's usually at a much higher level than I view myself or what my wife and kids view me because they know me. And so, as you know, playing on a football field, Speaking and preaching is only a micro fracture fraction of your actual real life. Um, I want my best moments to not be on a stage <clears throat> or that took place on a football field. Um, but I want my best moments to say, wow, man, this this guy really was captivated by Jesus and he loved people. He was a good man. Mm. Um, I think in our culture, we've become obsessed with this thing called success, but what do we define success as? Uh, Because what you define success as when you know the end goal, um, it affects what you do today. So a vision of the future transforms what you do today. So if success is I'm on a stage, if success is I've accomplished, but what about success is I'm patient, Mm. I'm humble, Mm. I'm kind, I am sacrificial successes. I'm a ambassador for racial reconciliation. Um, you know, all the things that we should be talking about as Christians, but we don't. That's so good. You know, if I had found you back when you're playing football at Brigham Young and you're a college football player with aspirations to go to the NFL, we were, we were on a similar college, college track. I was at Liberty university playing baseball till 91 you were at Brigham Young during that time and a little after getting ready for a football career. If I had caught you at that time and asked you what success was, young man who doesn't know the Lord, what would, what have, what would have success been then to you back during that time? Success to me would have been um, I made it to the NFL. Mm. I made some money. I was able to send money home to my family and, quote, unquote, help them that's what I would have viewed success as Mm. success would have been. I now have a new status and a new worth because of what I do. And I was able to acquire that version of success. But after three years of the NFL, I said to myself, wow, if this is what success is, then it's an (laughs) epic fail. Yep. It, It is an epic fail. So a lot of people, come to Jesus at the bottom of life. I came to Jesus at the top of life. It was like I climbed um, the highest mountain to only realize that it was a um, a little mound. And so I was like, there has to be more than just, I'm striving to be valued. I'm striving to keep my job. I'm striving to be better than this other guy. It was like this beast that was never, ever full. And even the money I did send home didn't actually help, you know, instead of paying bills, teach some, someone how to get a job to pay bills instead of buying cars, teach someone how to work to buy cars Mm. that, uh, you know, money doesn't solve problems. Now money's good, but ultimately if we define success by how much money we have, then we'll be empty. 
And so that's pretty much what happened to me. Uh, my wife and I met at BYU. She's from Montana. I'm from San Antonio, Texas. Neither one of us came from a Christian background. We were not interested in Mormonism. She was there to be a track athlete and get a degree. I was there to be a football player, get a degree. And uh, we got, actually got married in college. And mm. so uh, we got married in college. We made it to the NFL. She became, in 1994, the Young Dietitian of the Year for the state of Indiana. So both of us, very, very high achievers. And so after three years of being in the NFL and being a team captain and her doing the things that she did, both of us recognized, well, yeah, on the outside, things look good, but uh, we really don't know how to love each other. Mm. I'm dealing with all sorts of things from my past. She's dealing with all sorts of things from her past. Now we didn't know that there was a word called sin. We we had no clue <laughs> what 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 sin was. But even worse than that, we had no clue that our problem wasn't we did bad things. The problem was we were devoid of God's life. Yeah, you're either in Adam or you're in Christ. For those who are listening who may not understand that terminology, every human being is born in a spiritual hearse on the way to the graveyard. And so we have to be reborn through Christ to have his very life. So it's not just I've been forgiven. It's been I've been forgiven and turned into a whole entire new species. But we didn't know that's what we were looking for. And so she had a woman at work over coffee, uh, introduced her to Christ. I had a teammate over a five-year period who uh, introduced me to uh, Christ through some unusual methods. After practice, he'd take a shower, dry off. He'd wrap a towel around his waist and begin to ask, his t ask my teammates and I, do we know Jesus? His nickname was the Naked Preacher. And so for five years, uh, we built a relationship. I seen authenticity in his, in his life and the way he loved his wife and his kids. And he had something that I did not have, and that something was a someone, mm. and his name was Christ. And so on August 2nd, 1997, my fifth year in the NFL with the Colts, that's when I prayed to receive Christ in a small dorm room all by myself. My wife had come to faith about six to eight months before, before I did. So my definition of success would have been radically different than what I view success as now. That's so good. And that's the that's the part of the NFL. I know you see it and working with teams and being in it. I see it from the work I get to do here in Atlanta with the guys and with some visiting teams that come through. Man, there's some of those guys, they are, they know who they are and they know what they're about. There's some that are checking it out. There's some of those guys, like the naked preacher, he knew, yeah. he knew who he was. He knew the mission he was on. What changed most about you? So you meet Christ August 2nd. What begins to change about Derwin Gray, the husband, Derwin Gray, the football player? What, what, what were the changes that began to take place in your life? Yeah, you know, um, I would say in that dorm room on August 2nd, 1997, the first thing to change was I literally cried for three days. So hmm. I'm in training camp, you know, I'm getting ready to make the team. And my heart is just tenderized under God's grace. Like I am. I'm just, I'm just weeping and crying. And I had been taught my whole life that, you know, tears are a sign of, of weakness. That's not what you do. But I felt so loved. So what, what changed was not necessarily what I did. What changed was, wow, God did this for me. Mm, mm. Like, like, like God did this for me. And it was this overwhelming sense of, 
I am loved. And my whole life, I'm competing to be loved, which wasn't real love. Like if I play good, the crowd cheers. That's right. Um, If I run fast, a team drafts me. If I, you know, everything was based off of my performance. And here was the first time that someone said, I see your performance and it's not good, but I love you anyway. Mm. Romans 5, 8, but, but while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So I would say one of the blessings of not growing up unchurched and coming to Jesus in that way was I didn't have a lot of baggage. Mm. Um, early in my Christian faith, I met a lot of Christians and they talked more about what they didn't do, what they did, what they couldn't do, what they have done. And I was like, when are you going to talk about Jesus? Like, when are you going to talk about what he's done? Like they would spend a little bit on, yeah, Jesus died on the cross. No, I'm, I'm like, hold, hold on, hold on. Do you understand that Jesus is a new Passover lamb? that our past, present, future sins have been erased. Do you realize that the very righteousness of Jesus has been nailed to you and your sin has been nailed to him? Do you realize that you are a conduit of the very life of Christ, the one that rose from the dead? Do you realize you're reconciled to God? You're forever a friend of God. Do you realize that you're regenerated, that you are new in Christ? And all these Christians would look at me like, what are you talking about? Because for a lot of Christians, it's not Christianity, it's ayahanity. I can't do this. I've done this. I'm going to do this. And it's very little about actually the work and person of Jesus. And when you look at the Gospels, you look at Luke 24, you look at John 5, 39 through 38, all of Scripture testified to Jesus. It's not called Derwinanity. It's called Christianity because it's about the Messiah and his finished work. Here's one of my problems with contemporary Christianity. It's more so about our work than the finished work of Christ. And the more we rest in the finished work of Christ, the more he works in us. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works that he's prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We're trying to take a walk by ourselves. And Christ is saying, take a walk with me. I've already paid the, paved the path. Boy, that's so good. That is so good. And you and you look back now in the rearview mirror and you begin to see how God began to to grow you in that faith, put you on the right team in the right place. He takes to Carolina in 98. That was your last season. And then you begin an itinerant ministry. You, you began to travel. Did you know when you were, when you were hanging up those cleats and you were hanging up that helmet, that that was probably going to be your next step to begin to speak and share your story. And did you feel, no, No. how did that, how did that come about? (laughs) So, um, you asked me a minute ago, what changed about me? One of the other things that changed about, about, about me is that um, I grew up as a compulsive stutterer. And mm-hmm. so giving interviews, uh, speaking before people was never an option. So I'm a brand new Christian with a heart that's just on fire. And I'm like, okay, so who can I help share this message? You know, we'll, we'll fund you, we'll pray for you. And, uh, in 1998, when I went into training camp with the, with the Carolina Panthers, I really didn't want to play anymore. Um, it's hard for people to understand because people glorify football yeah. and sports so, so much, and people couldn't understand, like, why don't you want to play anymore? And I said, I can't explain it. 
Um, I used to love practice. I used to love game film. I loved everything about the game. But in 1998, I found myself at practice talking more about the scripture that I read last night than the coverage I was in. And that's not fair to my teammates. That was not fair, fair to me. But I was afraid to do anything else because I didn't mm-hmm. think I could do anything else. I figured I'm a dumb football player. Let me ride this out as long as I can. But the passion was uh, was simply gone. And, and so when I did decide to retire, my wife and I were both in agreement. We had no clue what we were going to do. And I got invited to speak at a youth event in Columbia, South Carolina. Wow. And I remember being in the uh, shower bath and I just said, you know, God, why would you want a compulsive stutterer to go and speak? Like I'll fund a trip, I'll pay for somebody to go, but I don't want to go. And I didn't hear an audible voice, but what I sensed was this. God said, if I can raise my son from the dead, I can raise your tongue to talk. Mm. Now, that doesn't mean every stutterer is going to experience that. That's just what I experienced. And so it's not that I've stopped stuttering, but the Holy Spirit has helped me get to the root of my stuttering. And the root of my stuttering was a low self-esteem, various aspects of PTSD because of the violence that I grew up in. I didn't realize how unnormal my childhood was until I became a parent. Wow. And so what happened is God helped me find my worth in Christ. That if as simple as this, if Jesus died for me, I'm valuable, period. And that began to change how I viewed myself. So anyway, I went and spoke. I had note cards falling out of my pockets (laughs) and I shared the gospel Hundreds of kids came to faith. And the next day, the phone started to ring. And my wife was like, well, let me organize this. So at the end of 2019, I had spoken like 150 times. And she organized the events. And Christian said, you guys need to do a 501c3 nonprofit and start a ministry. And we were like, okay. So that's that's how it started. That's amazing. Yeah. So like, I'm I am the worst person for young pastors to talk to about how to get started in ministry. Cause my answer is this, let Jesus love you abide in him. Let Amen. your heart be the soil that he produces fruit and he'll open up doors. Hmm. And man, they hate that answer. Like they think I had some elaborate plan and I was like, no, I just got a person. And, um, I haven't been created to speak. I've been created to be loved by him. And the overflow of that love is him expressing himself through me, how he chooses to do so. So you're, you're traveling, you are, God is blessing it. He's open. And I love that answer. And I completely agree with you because I think we live in a world that wants a formula and a notebook and a pamphlet and a check the boxes off. And if you do these five things, God will use you and God will bless you. And it, it just doesn't work that way. You begin to do all these things. And then you reach a point now you pastor one of the most influential churches in Charlotte, North Carolina. How in the world did you go from, man, okay, God, I'm obedient. I'm going to speak now, and, and I'm doing what you want me to do. You keep opening these doors, and I'm, I've, I was dropping my note cards, and, and now God's using me. You're using me. When you got to that point of saying, all right, I think, I think God's calling me to plant my life in this city that he took you to for a game, and now he's called to plant your life, which is just crazy, 
that he took you there one way and is going to use you another way. How did, how did that, how did that journey happen? So over the years, I've learned nuance and I've learned to lead with relationship and then theology. And so after four years of, after five years of traveling, um, I just sensed the Lord, my wife and I said, well, if you want to see multi-ethnic churches like the New Testament, then don't criticize, create, you do it. And so um, since we've started um, in this adventure, along with people like Mark DeMaz and Brian Loritz and Crawford Loritz, and this goes on and on, um, multi-ethnic churches in America have increased from about 4% to about 14%. Mm. So, uh, and it's important for people to understand that it's not about a quota. It's about bearing witness. Jesus said, the world will know that my father sent me because of your unity and oneness. That's right. Our unity and oneness bears witness to the resurrection of Jesus. And so it's more than just, uh, well, you just want to have a colorful room. No, we want to we show people that the color of God's blood, red, creates a new humanity that loves across barriers. And that's why Paul says there's neither Jew nor Greek, free nor slave, male nor female. Jews and Greeks don't stop being Jews and Greeks. We go from being color blessed, I mean, color blind to color blessed. Mm -hmm. Free and slave means that there's no classism. The CEO and the garbage man are treated the same way. Male nor female means men and women are equal in the kingdom of God. That's what God's new society looks like. And so, and, and, and so for us, our theology is Sunday is when the church gathers. Monday through Saturday is when the church scatters. So for the business leaders that are listening, the business world does so much of a better job with diversity than the mm. church. And it was actually the church of Jesus that led the world in diversity. Yep. And so for business le- leaders, study after study shows that a company is more profitable when you have diversity in the areas of leadership. When is the church going to understand that? Maybe we need to go back and read Acts chapter 13, that the church in Antioch sent five missionaries, Saul of Tarshish. He was a diaspora Jew who grew up around Gentiles. Um, You had the cousin of Herod. He was a rich Jewish man. You had uh, um, uh, um, Simon, of Cyrene, he's African. You had Niger, he's from Africa. And you had one more, Barnabas. He was a Jew from Cyprus who grew up around Gentiles as well. There's a reason why the church at Antioch took the gospel to the world and the church of Jerusalem did not. The church of Jerusalem was a homogeneous church. The church in Antioch was a multi-ethnic church. Mm. So good. So good. And and now you've got all these years of pastoring and God is using you guys in incredible ways. And I've been a fan of yours from afar. We've got a mutual friend named Brian Dodd and Brian's the one that first told Brian's me about you. And I, I love B Dodd. And that's where I first learned about you. What has been the part of pastoring? You say this surprised me the most. I didn't see this part. I, I had been a part of a church. I'd gone to seminary, studied under Dr. Geisler, who's one of the greatest minds ever to grace this earth. What weren't you prepared for to be a pastor? Oh, well, uh, I would say the first thing is I was not prepared for 
I don't want this to come across the wrong way, but I do want the rawness of it to be real is I was surprised at the pettiness and cruelty of Christians. I was, uh, one of the, one of the things that would take me aback is, you know, I have a high theology of grace, a high theology of the gospel. I have a high theology of Jesus. And it would amaze me how ungracious and how unkind some email responses I would get if I said something that ruffled feathers. Overwhelmingly, the last 10 years, the emails that I will get will be based on politics or race. It'll be, why do you talk about race so much? And I'm like, well, because God died to save the human race. (laughs) And humans have done a great job of separating each other by race. You know, in America, we had this big thing called slavery of Africans. Remember that? Mm -hmm. Well, that was a long time ago. It was a long time ago. And if there's not empathy and sympathy, you'll carry attitudes that you didn't even have. That's right. And who you are in this world determines how you see the world. And that's why we need each other to see different perspectives of each, each other. I would get emails. I'm leaving this church. You know, if these, if these black kids would just obey the police officers, those shootings would never happen. And it's like, okay, so I grew up in a hood. I grew up in an at-risk area. And I know what it's like to be profiled, to be bullied simply for being black. Well, you don't understand that because you haven't experienced that. Uh, One time I got an email because uh, a black person said I was racist towards blacks because I said President Obama uh, was not the first black president because his mom is white. So if his dad is black and his mom is white, how is he just black? I said, oh, you want me to use the 1689 state of Virginia law that says if you have one eighth of black blood in you, you're black. I said, I'm a Christian. I'm not a white supremacist. So why should I discount President Obama growing up with white grandparents and a white mom? His black dad was hardly involved in his life. So you want me to be white supremacist or you want me to be gospel that his mom is white, his dad is black. And if he's in Christ, he's a new creation. But that doesn't discount. Mm. Like for like for me, my my mom is as light-skinned as you are. I'm, I'm nearly 25% European. So am I to not uh, acknowledge my Scottish ancestors? (laughs) You know, so, so I'll get emails. Well, how dare you talk about politics in church? And I'm like, man, I tell you what, I'm sure I'm glad that black pastors talked about politics in church for the civil rights movement. I'm sure glad that there are pastors who said that women should be able to vote and get equal pay. Usually, when we don't take time to be humble enough to look at life from another person's perspective, we have ignorant answers. And so we want to create a church to where all my constituents that I serve, like I want the white person from rural Appalachia to know, Hey man, I hurt for you that your jobs have been outsourced, that you've been left behind. You are my brother and sisters in Christ. And so That was the biggest thing is how people were here grace for years, but be ungracious. And so what I tell folks, I'm like, look, if you want to attend a church where you don't have to hear uh, 
Jesus's perspective on politics and ethnicity and justice and abortion, there's a lot of places where you can go to get a good feel good message, but this ain't it. That we're called to be disciples. And one of the reasons why the church is so divided, the most divided people in America from research. And I did, did this for my doctoral thesis, 47,000 words. The most divided group of people in America is white Christians yep. and black Christians, not atheists, not agnostics, yep. Christians, black and white, white, white ones. Why? Because we've allowed our church to be silos of segregation yep. instead of communities of unity. Yep. No, that's and, so good. You, you know, so, so that was, that was the first thing is, uh, realizing that as a pastor, I'm going to get nailed to the cross a lot and that's okay. But to always give grace and understanding because behind every complaint is a hurt. Yep. And let me get to the hurt. Secondly, I thought all pastors did was preach. Preaching's like 5% <laughs> of what I do. No one told me how to hire and fire and no one told me how to build HR. No one told me <clears throat> um, how to buy property and plan for services and I mean, we started with four people in our living room, and now we got a staff of nearly 50. We started with like nine of us, and now it's nearly 4,000 of us, or maybe more. I don't know. And so seminary makes you a scholar and a theologian. It doesn't make you a pastor. Pastoring makes you a pastor. And so you need to have the scholarly tools, but you need to have the pastoral experience. And, and so pastoring a is a gift. There's some people who don't have the office of pastor, but business leaders are pastoring people. Coaches are pastoring right. pe people. Moms and dads are pastoring kids. There's a spiritual gift of pastoring. And so what I want to say to business leaders and coaches is, is you have to look at more than the bottom line. People are more valuable than the bottom line. And this is what I believe is that when you pastor people and shepherd their souls for good, your business will be more productive. Your players will be more productive. So we have to be sh make sure that we're not spiritual capitalists, but that we are disciple makers. Like we can't. And what I mean by spiritual capitalists is I'm going to use you for the bottom line. I'm going to yeah. use you to get promotions. No, it's not. I'm going to use you. I'm going to bless you. Mm. I'm going to pour into you. I want to help you not only be a successful employee, but to be a successful person and defining success around character ha habits of, of love and patience and kindness, um, work ethic to the point to where you're not killing yourself, but you're maximizing yourself. That's really good. You know, in, in following you, I know that your son's become quite a football player. I believe he's up at Wake Forest now. And, uh, man, I got to watch you, you guys through high school and yep. you following him. My son, my son's a couple of years earlier. So when I found out you're a pastor and Brian turned me on to you, I followed you. How did you balance pastor Derwin, that love of your son, that leadership role you have in the church, being a great husband, tra still traveling and speaking, still being asked, you you've written what, some of your books there at the end, you've written a lot of books. How have you learned the art of that, uh, learning that equilibrium of how to be your best in all those different areas? Yeah. Yeah. You know, so the, so the, so the first thing, there is no balance. There is no equilibrium. My family comes first period. 
Like I'm not balancing transformation church. Like my wife and kids are not competing with the church for my time. My best energy, my best love is going to my wife and kids, period. Period. Um, Jesus already died for the church. I don't have to. And so the more I can be secure in God's love for me, the more I can keep that order proper. And so, you know, there have been seasons of getting to borderline depression. There's been seasons of, man, why are you working so hard? There's been seasons of, I'm going to do five services because if I show video and two of them, people may leave. So I'm just going to do five and kill myself. That's sin. That's insecurity. If our congregation does not care about me long-term enough to know that preaching takes a toll on you, then they do need to go somewhere else. Because what good is it if a man grows a big church and has a heart attack and can't live his, love his, his wife and kids? That's right. Good and word. So, so it's not an issue of balance. It's an issue of order. My first love goes to Christ, my wife, then my kids, then the congregation, then after that. Now, as far as with my kids, you know, I've always wanted to be involved with my kids. My, you know, my daughter would cheer and, and do her thing. And so with my son, uh, football is something that he, he loved and he's worked really hard and he got nationally recruited and he ended up going to Wake Forest. And I mean, that, that journey has been great. In high school, I missed maybe three practices his whole life. Just love to see, see, see my son. Ultimately, ultimately, as a parent, what we want for our kids above all is that you let God love you. And out of the overflow of that love, you love yourself. And you want to go into the world and love the world. You want to, you want, that's your highest priority for your kids. Secondly, you want them to find purpose in how God's going to express that. So three weeks into camp at Wake Forest and Jeremiah performed well, he uh, overcame a broken leg, a ruptured uh, <clears throat> ligament as camp was going on, his play was getting better and better. And about three weeks into it, he said, you know what, dad, I like football, but as I look at my life for the next four to five years, I don't love it enough to structure it around what this requires. I believe God is calling me to other things. Mm. And so I walked him through it and we talked and I said, okay, you know, your freshman year is tough and, you know, been away from home. And so as he maturely walked through it and lit, made a list of pros and cons and we talked about it, ultimately I, I said, son, you have to do what you love to do and what you're passionate mm. about. And over the last year and a half, um, his transformation has been remarkable. Um, all of a sudden this kid loves languages. Mm. Um, for, for spring break, he wanted to go to Denmark and Norway because that's where my wife's from. So he taught himself the basics of Danish. I'm like, who is this kid? Wow. And then he had a Bible teacher at his school to turn him on to apologetics and his faith is growing and he's introducing his friends to Christ and he's developing friends all around the world. And he's like, dad, you know, I want to major in international business. I want to learn German as my primary language because that's the language of, of, of business in Europe. And I want to introduce people to Christ and football is getting in the way of that. And I said, awesome. Well, let's go to your next step then. Love it. And so I was very proud of him to make that choice because I didn't grow up with a dad that was an NFL player. That's a lot of pressure. Yep. And so I'm proud of him for saying, you know what? I want to blaze my own path. 
And most people aren't going to understand it, but the people that know him are not surprised. You write your plans and etch a sketch knowing that God is going to create the master plan. And I love how he's going about it. And we support him. We're with him 100%. And so, yeah, so he's no longer at Wake Forest. And, um, you know, I was proud of him when he played for Wake Forest. I'm proud of him now. Absolutely. I'm proud of my daughter as well. And so, you know, I know this isn't like a quote-unquote parent show. um, But one thing that I will say is that as influencers, as leaders, we have the greatest influence on our children. They want to make us more proud than anybody. Right. Even when they go through that awkward teenage phase where they're pulling away, they still want to please us. And what they need from us most is not instruction and direction. They need an ally that they can trust and process with. And what I found is they receive our instructions and directions more when we're a safe place. Mm. When 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 they make their biggest mistakes, we give them our biggest hugs. So good. So good. You know, I've got a 25 and a 22 year old and uh, you know, I heard, I don't remember who it was said it. It may have been Andy, but he said, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe they were ours and our ceilings going to be their floor. (laughs) And I hope so. I hope that for your children, for my children, that what God is, is able to do in our lives is just there is their jumping off point. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's those times and, you know, you're getting, I'm getting that age now. I look back and go, man, those, those, those years of them being those little ones at home, gosh, they're your friend now. They're your, you know, that's so, it's just a special, special thing. It it is, you know, and the nature of the relationship changes. So when we were in spring break, we're walking down the streets of Oslo. We had just left the capital where the King and Queen live. And I had a two book offer on the table. And I was explaining to my daughter, I was like, you know what? I don't, I don't, I don't want to write any more books because it's all about platform, not about content. It's not about substance. It's about how big is your platform. You know, um, it's all about marketing. And I'm like, I'm just, I'm just not a marketing person, you know? And at 22 years old, she stopped me and she said, Well, you gotta write this for God, not for any of that other stuff. If wow. God's called you to do it, then you write it for him. I'm wow. Like, oh, she's so right. <laughs> I shouldn't have told you. Uh, yeah. I oh, mean, she man. was 100% right. It, it was like I had got caught up in the wrong things. Mm, mm. That if one person reads the book, that's at the primary level, that's not as important. At the heart level is, was I obedient to write something as a offering to God himself? Mm. And the rest will take care of itself. And so I'm actually going to dedicate the book to her because she pushed me. Um, And so matter of fact, I just finished, uh, I just finished a book. It'll be released in 2020 of June. It's called uh, the good life. What Jesus teaches about true happiness. It's actually on the Beatitudes. And so uh, I'm thankful that she pushed me. And and so you're you're right. The nature of the relationship changes. Um, But I, I just think there's so much, pressure, be successful, be famous, be, how about be faithful, be loving, be kind, be good, be gracious. You know, what is, as pastor Derwin Gray wraps up 
his life and ministry one day on down the road. <clears throat> what do you hope the impact is that you've made on your family, on your friends, on your church? What do you hope is the 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 ripple that you left behind from the life that God gave you to live? Um, I pray that people people would that it would be about out of hesitation that they would say what was what was most important to him, mm. <clears throat> and they would say Jesus Christ that he was a man overwhelmed by the deep love of Christ. And I pray that I would point my wife and my children to be satisfied and take pleasure in him as well. And I would pray from a church perspective that we made disciples who go into the world as ambassadors of reconciliation and justice, that they see themselves as, as missionaries of hope. And then lastly, I pray that uh, when I take my last breath and I'm with the Lord, that people would say, wow, God used this church in Indian land, South Carolina, to start a global movement that the church no longer has to be the most segregated institution in America. But the church is now teaching the world how we can love each, each other across uh, boundaries we're not supposed to of ethnicity, class, gender, that women are equal with yeah. men, that rich and poor are treated the same, and that we are a blood-bought people that are not colorblind, but color-blessed, mm -hmm. and that the world begins to look at the church, not in scorn or with cynicism, but they're writing notes because we become a tutor in how to love. And people would go, Jesus had to have been sent by his father because look at how these people love each other. Boy, I hope you enjoyed that episode with Derwin. You know, I'm thankful to know difference makers. It was so funny, right after we recorded that episode, I ran into uh, him and got to meet him for the very first time at Liberty University uh, up at Thomas Road Church and got to just say hello and thank you. I'm a fan. I can tell you that. I am a fan. He is out there getting it done and making a difference. Make sure and pick up a copy of his new book, The Good Life. Uh, when we recorded that episode, that book was not out yet, but it is out now. And uh, you can find that on our show notes that you can go and get that book ordered. And I know it will make a difference for you. Man, thanks for joining in. Our next episode is going to be another fun one. Sit down with it. I've got a little string of pastors going. Sit down with another pastor, Adam Weber. Adam pastors Embrace Church in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. I can honestly say he's the first guy I've ever interviewed out of South Dakota, and he did not disappoint. He He's the lead pastor of Embrace Church, but he's got a brand new book coming out. And it was so fun to talk to him. And the book is fantastic. Love has a name. If there was ever a time we needed this book, it's now. And you are going to love my conversation with Adam Weber. So if you've enjoyed this episode, make sure and go to iTunes and leave a review. It sure helps us, helps other people find their way to us. If you've uh, if this podcast is something that you go, man, I would love others to know about, leave um, a star rating there for us. It helps us so, so much. Well, until we meet again, go and be the leader that God created you to be in the space 
and the place that he's put you. Thanks again for joining today. Thank you for listening to the Lynch with a Leader podcast with your host, Mike Lynch. If you enjoyed this episode, you can help more people hear it by subscribing and leaving a review wherever you may be listening. For full episode notes and more spiritual leadership resources, visit MikeLynch.com.